added time is supported by Fitbit. Get real-time insights on you and your world with the Fitbit Versa 2, the all-new premium smartwatch with Amazon Alexa built in, your personalised sleep score and a five-plus day battery life. It's one of those mornings. Miserable and wet. Well, yes, that too. But uh, what I more uh, solidly meant was it's one of those mornings when you're doing a general sports podcast and you draw up the list of things that happened over the weekend and you go, okay, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. And it's a lot of good stuff. It's a lot of good stuff. So we don't have time for on this morning's Out of Time podcast. Joseph O'Brien and his winning the Breeders' Cup with Iridissa. Iridissa. Yeah. Sorry, Joseph. Well done. You're a very good young man, very mannerly, doing well with the horses, but we can't talk about you today. Can't talk about Shamrock Rovers and winning the FAI Cup for the first time in 32 years and a dramatic penalty shootout against Dundalk. No, we can't talk about that or indeed uh, their goalkeeper not turning towards the flag for the national anthem, for which he has taken an awful lot of shit overnight. Uh, he's, uh, um, from, he's a Protestant from Belfast uh, and... Uh, refused to stand and face the flag for the soldier's song. I did not know that. Well, if you, you clearly haven't been online then overnight. No. Because <laughs> he took, he's taking quite quite the amount of heat for it. Well, one thing actually I wondered about that match is if, if in 20 years time, Michael Duffy will look back on it and will he remember the fact that he missed a penalty in the penalty shootout or will he remember, I hope he has a positive mind and he remembers the absolutely brilliant equalising goal Indeed, he got. Yeah. I know they didn't win, but... That was a fantastic goal. It was goal. a dinger, yeah. yeah. Well, but indeed, we're, that's us not talking about that. Mm. What else are we not talking about? We're not really talking about Katie Taylor. No. And uh, her becoming only Ireland's the third ever Irish boxer to have world titles at two different weights. After? Carl Frampton, Frampton and Stephen Collins, is Indeed. It? I watched it uh, on Saturday night, actually. Uh, and it was... Um, like, the, these Katie fights are... They they do follow a pattern. Now this was a little different to to the previous one against uh, Delphine uh, Pursuant, where like she got into a bit of a war in that fight and you know lost it on on some judges' cards, but won it on the judges' cards that that, that mattered. Um, very clearly, Saturday night was I'm not doing that again. Mm. I am staying out of this. I am picking her off. And her fights do tend to, because she doesn't knock anybody out and she doesn't get knocked out herself, um, they do tend to go get into a certain rhythm, uh, especially with the two-minute rounds. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think her fights would be shorter if they went three minutes per round, uh, generally because tiredness would kick in harder on one side or the other. But uh, definitely the pattern of her fight the other night... Uh, and um, the the other boxers manager had a go at her for it was she was not getting into trouble. She was, you know, she was staying out of trouble. She was picking her off. She was clearly the better fighter. She, like there was no, no doubt in my mind that, that that she won. Yeah, your man's name, the manager's name is Brian Cohn. Mm. And he said afterwards, it's not boxing. That's not boxing. It's called running. There's no ring generalship. She runs around the ring the whole fight. That's not boxing. That's running. Well, and, and you know, Tough shit, buddy. Uh, like it is boxing, you yeah, know. Exactly. Like <laughs> you know, <laughs> Katie Taylor is not the first fighter uh, in the history of the sport to decide not to be hit. Yeah. You know, that's the game. Also, the whole point of it is you're not fighting; you're yeah, boxing. Exactly. And 
that's what Katie does and that's what she's so good at and yeah. and like she's gone up uh, I think it's probably only five pounds but she she knew, fine, but that's plenty exactly and she yeah. knew she made a mistake going toe to toe with Persoon the last yeah. day and she knew that she it would be risky and actually she looked fairly battered at the end of the fight as well I know she won well on the scorecards but mm-hmm. she had a, her right eye was very closed she got caught she got caught with a, with a, with a really nice one and it was early enough in the fight so like mm-hmm. whatever notion that she, that she might have had of getting uh, stuck into a scrap was clearly went after that you know but she had her she had her eye to protect all the way through it's worth saying too. I think like we're not going to we're not talking about Katie at length today because we're talking about rugby and hockey later. But it just shows her excellence again mm. that we're we're almost inoculated against how good she is. She goes into a world title fight after going up a weight. She wins with a pretty kind of dominating, smart mm. performance. But she's so skillful that we almost take it for granted that. Uh, that she can do these things now, and uh, and it's on a, a she, world uh, stage. Yeah, you know? she's a, a clean pro record, fifteen from fifteen. Mm. Um, it is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting where she sits in the in the sporting culture. Um, I and we're going to be talking to Mary Hannigan about the the hockey team later on. Uh, there there is a a slight difference. Like the, the the hockey players are all over the papers today, and they're celebrated. Part obviously for their achievements, but also partly because they're so engaging and they 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 commit to it. Like they 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 love the profile, all that stuff. Katie's so different and has been so different, and it's it it's almost a tribute to her. Like it is the it's the it's the pure weight of her boxing skill mm. that you know has her in the public consciousness, but. She clearly doesn't like that side of it. She really and and look, we we've said this about her a million times. Like she, she just lives and dies on the on the boxing. The the, the results stand for it. But it's um it's it's look, it's some achievement. Two a two weight world champion. She's going to be boxing again in the new year, probably in March. Uh, and you know she's a list as long as your arm of the contenders and wants to fight them all. Yeah. Um. Oh, the other thing we're not talking about is Rory McIlroy. Indeed, we're not. Rory McIlroy, four, fourth tournament this year that he has won. Like, there's a fair, fair shout that he he should be a, a, a right contender for the Irish Sports Personality of the Year by the end of the year. I I don't know if he'll even get make the shortlist, but like four tournaments. This is a WGC tournament. Like, this is you know this is he has had a fantastic year apart from the majors and uh, most especially the Friday. Uh, or the Friday of the Open or the Thursday of the British Open in, in Port Rush. Yeah. But for the last time, the World Cup is the place to start. Uh, Gavin Comiskey's in studio. How are you, Gav? Morning. Jerry Thornley is about to head to the airport to end uh, how many weeks in Japan, Jerry? Seven and a half, 52, 53 nights, something wow. like that. Yes, J- Japan will never, never be the same again after you land back in Dublin tomorrow or the next yeah. day. Um, no. the, so the final uh, yeah went exactly as we all predicted <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about this though uh, watching it Jerry like the one thing we did sort of say on uh, in our preview last Thursday was you know finals can be nervy things and you don't know exactly how teams are going to react and um what was the what was the feeling around England? Did did the occasion get to them or what was it? I think the feeling was that um, as Warren Gatland had said might be the case, um, sometimes 
teams played their final in the semi-finals. Mm. It's happened before. Um, it's happened before with France. It's happened with France and they played their final in the quarter-final in 99 against the All Blacks. Lost against a poor English team. It's not just the French. Other teams have done it too. Australia, after beating the All Blacks in 91, very nearly lost the final against England. There's been other examples over the years as well. I mean, I think even, even the All Blacks, they crawled over the line in 2011. They produced their best performance by distance against Australia in the semis and only crawled over the line, like I said, in the final with great help from Craig Schubert. So I think, um, you know, you look at players like Owen Farrell, who played for the guts of an hour through the pain barrier and semi-final into the tank as with others and they were just um, they weren't able to scale those heights again and there was always a fear that if they didn't get one of the fast starts it was nine nine times they scored a try in the first 10 minutes of their 14 tests this season didn't work out that way this time in the final I think obviously um, there was huge ripple psychological from Kyle Sinker going off in the third minute it's cruelly unfortunate for him and for England because it meant Dan Cole had to play 77 minutes and uh He's not a bad scrumpter, Dan, Dan Cole, but for some reason he has terrible trouble against um, the Beast, Tendai Mtararira, and um, Tendai rolled back the years of a decade when he destroyed Phil Vickery in the first Test Alliance Tour and did a number on Dan Cole. Um, even Michael, Strupp, Michael Vunapolo struggled on the other side of the scrum as well against Franz Matt Herp. And that, I, if you were there the game, Malachi, that scrum... Mm. When um, the all, when the English scrum was just steamrolled backwards and it led to three points for uh, England, it had a huge sorry, it had a huge psychological effect. It really drained the swing low, um, drains from the, the the chance from the crowd. It, it just it kind of became the English uh, fans and sent a shudder through the um, the English team's nerve. Uh, Gavin, two years ago in South Africa, got beaten fifty-seven 0 by New Zealand. Two thousand and sixteen, they lost Italy. This is an incredible coaching job by Razzy Erasmus here, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, look, he did a couple of things. Um, he tore up the quota system and he started. He picked the best captain. He picked the best players. He said very clearly, he goes, I will come back from Munster, but I need total control. Uh, the Sia Khaleesi appointment as captain um, was not a reverse racial or racially motivated in any shape or form. It was this guy is my man uh, and it, it proved inspirational but the real thing was he was like um, yeah Faf de Klerk you stay in sale that's no problem you're going to be the central figure in this team yeah Orgy Snyman Dwayne Vermeulen go play call rugby in Japan make loads of money you're going to be absolutely key figures in the team you're not going to get bashed up in super rugby great love it um, very similar to what Japan did it wasn't about them playing rugby uh, it was there was no pressure from uh, tournaments below international level, uh, but even saying all of that and uh, after everything, it's a remarkable achievement. They copped on from what the All Blacks did to them in the pool stages. They went. Uh, Erasmus was was just fantastic afterwards. He really caught the the mood of the whole thing and the the nation. He said, "What is pressure? You know, like what, going into the All Blacks game, the first World Cup pool match, um, we real the, the pressure was immense and we didn't handle it well. And afterwards, we sat down and went, okay, pressure is not having a job. Pressure is having to deal with uh, murdered family. Uh, pressure is, and these are the old things that everyone's like one degree separation away from in South Africa. You know what I mean? Um, or knows people who of and like it's it's there. It's it's a the, the the country they never hid away from the country has real problems but we want you all to be surrounded on the barbecue get just given a little bit of hope uh, and this whole thing is what they they put through the squad it proved inspirational if you look at the footage of the celebrations in South Africa which is all over all over Twitter over the weekend it was like nobody had a chance but like the, the mood of the nation you know you talk about a mood being captured it really was now 
I'm not going to start saying it's not solving any problems or anything mm. like that, but they just, they nailed it down as a motivational thing going, we're not going to be affected by pressure anymore. We're just going to destroy teams with our power game. And then out of nowhere, which we, we just did not see, they, they started to play a game of rugby, um, started playing rugby the best way it could be played. But Jerry talked about it in detail there. It comes down very simply to Dan Coles, this veteran English tight head prop, just like 10 years ago, Phil Vickery, this mm. veteran English tight head prop who was destroyed by Tendai Metoira in the Lions test and it decided the series. Just like when Coles, you could see him coming back up and he was trying to talk and he was looking to carry ball. It was like his face was had been like melded into the, into the muck and he was trying to be a leader and a veteran prop and all that and it just didn't matter you know <laughs> because every time they came to the scrum they just got destroyed and you, the confidence the confidence visibly drained out of them like there was Ben Youngs for example like he threw that ball into touch but if you watch Ben Youngs in early in the second half the way he was stalling over ball uh, just you know if a scrum half won't won't move or won't kick and is staying forever over a ruck ball. It's fear. You know, he, he's almost... He's thinking, he's in his head. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, no, do you know what he's afraid of? He's afraid of Peter Steftatoy coming through and destroying Mara Toje and destroying the ball just as he stoops because mm. they were like torpedoes, the Springboks. They're going, just as he touches the ball, we're going to rifle through and, and ruin, their, ruin their ball. And he, it happened once or twice. Faf de Klerk put a hand on him and should have been a yellow card. Nothing. And it was just in his head and lots of guys who you didn't expect like Ben Young's, when your scrum half freezes, which he clearly looked like he just, he, he bottled it a little bit. When that happens, the whole thing crumbles. Jerry, it was mad the way that uh, there were so many handling errors for, from England. And I wonder, is that it radiating out from, from the scrum pressure that they were under? But the, even beyond that, there were just so many handling errors, so many mental errors. Yeah, no doubt about it. The scrum had a huge psychological effect on the English team. Eddie Jones admitted it afterwards. And that's what the scrum, it's been a really bad day. The scrum is still a hugely important feature mm. of a game of rugby and no less than in a World Cup final. It's called pressure, you know. Um, it happened to um, Ireland against in the pressure that the All Blacks were building on the game line. They forced the ball, they forced all of It happened to the All Blacks. Great, it was under pressure from the um, English defence, which is outstanding. The best defence performance of the tournament. But I tell you what, the best defence of the tournament was the spring take a bow Jack Nienabar and defences win championships that's what the old saying goes and you know since they conceded two tries against the All Blacks in the opening game they haven't they, since that the half time in that match they've only conceded one more try in this World Cup and that was a consolation score by Canada in the knockout stages they did not concede a solitude try they even became subdued the Japanese attack which is saying something um, okay the Welsh game was a kick fest but they restricted Wales to under 200 metres carries the lowest by any team in any of the matches in this tournament and England barely got above 200 metres from 125 carries so do the maths every time they ran with the ball had a carry out they ran into a brick wall it was just a marvellous defensive performance right across the, the board and the way they use Faf de Klerk is quite ingenious he's got this kind of loose shooter role to shoot out of defence identify a ball carrier and bring him down it doesn't really matter if he misses because he's still going to probably direct the carrier back into traffic anyway so it was the pressure of the box brilliant defence as well as scoreboard pressure as well as um, the scrums and as well as you know um, this, the, knowing that they played fantastically a week ago but didn't have it this week and it was a final and they'd have, they, they weren't leading on, on the scoreboard so all these things combined plus I think a few of them had entered the tank a week before Gavin aside from the, the positive aspects of you know people looking at people like Sia Khaleesi and liking what the South African team have achieved if you stand, stand back and just look at them they're not exactly lovable champions though really are they they're, uh, they they 
put out that picture before the World Cup and everybody looked at them and said, these guys look all like they're on steroids. Um, they like to do lots of time wasting. They can frequently be quite boring to watch. The entire game is based on basically pounding the opposition. Does that make them worthy champions, do you think? Does it make them the champions that rugby need right now? I, like it doesn't really matter. They are worthy champions. But, and Rassi Erasmus is an extreme. It surely does matter a little bit. No? Well, that, for, what for the, the sport like? Um, but the thing was, we, we, we championed England before the game and said that they, they're playing the rugby that deserves to win. And they came out and tried to play the rugby that deserves to win and it wasn't good enough. Right? Right, yeah. South Africa just broke them. Yeah, And like, look at Billy Vonapola coming off the pitch. Who was the dominant force on the field? Dwayne Vermeulen or Peter Steff the toy. You, we talked about how the English back row, we, we went on about them, how great they are and all that, and the English centres and how Tuolagi will gain line, Vonapola will gain line because in every game we've watched in the last year now that they're fit again, they've got teams over the gain line. Once you have that, you win and South Africa just denied them. Vermeulen is a better number eight than Billy Vonapola. Uh, Delande did the damage that Tuolagi was supposed to do and so we were, we got it, we got it wrong. We thought the physical dominance would come from the English. Strangely, the English didn't take them on directly physical which I was kind of hoping would happen before the game Go, just go feck it let's go toe to toe and see what happens because you kind of have to do that like the All Blacks always do that against South Africa they go we're going to play your game for about 50-60 minutes and we'll, we'll, we'll match you and then we'll beat you with all our skills uh, but worthy champions I, I wrote this morning I was going this is an opportunity to, to um, say the Springboks are, the, are worthy champions Oh, fine, that's grand. But is it a chance? Does that mean you ignore what even Etzbet's coming home for? The assault charges and all that, which has been this constant throughout the tournament? Mm. Or do you, um, like, there's, there's just so many things happening. Like, the breakthrough player of the year, literally the poster boy for the global game last year, is the South African winger, Fifi Dianti, and he's tested positive for steroids back in July, you know? So they had this cloud over them the whole time going in. Um, there's a They lost six of their players from the 95. Um, if, you, if you go back and look at the... Uh, they the, lost six players from the 95 team. Go with that Six again. players from the 95 era from that team have died in, in like in their 40s. You know, like this year, Chester Williams and James Small passed away from heart attacks. Like these, these things don't seem to make sense. Like you're wondering what, what is happening with these, with these, with these players. There's, there's so many deep-rooted problems just within South African rugby. Like it is a, it is a, it's a great achievement. It's an amazing thing. But... There's there's a huge thing that you look at that there's a cloud over what what is what is the Springbok rugby and all that and it, it shouldn't take away from Rassi Erasmus's phenomenal achievement and the performances of it and there's so many good stories about them but when you scratch a little bit deeper it, it, it's there's it, you can ignore it all now and winning World Cups means that a lot of it will get ignored but I think that would be wrong. What do you make of all that, Jerry? It's a valid question. At 18-12, with 60-plus minutes on the clock, had the game been called off then, South Africa would have won three World Cup finals without scoring a solitary try. They won 15-12 in 1995 with two drop goals and three penalties. They won 15-6 in 2007 with five penalties. And they were leading by six penalties to four in this final. And I really think that the uh, the last two tries were, were more than just symbolic Um it was great that they were scored by the players they were scored by. Uh, Mapimpi's story is from from coming from where he came from is every bit as 
inspirational for young black kids who want to play rugby in South Africa as Zia Khaleesi's story is. Jason Colbe is one of the stars of the tournament and just the way the Kanyo Am set up that try. As soon as as soon as uh, Willie, um, uh, Willie LaRue caught the, the high boxer from Ben Youngs and went back into contact and LaRue had his best game of the tournament by the way mm. um, for some reason probably because he was playing against players he was so familiar with from English club rugby it put him at ease off in the way and then, but as soon as the ball was recycled I kind of said to Owen Tillin and Murray Keynes it's on because you could see that England had filled the blind side with I think it was two props and George Cruz I think it was Dan Cold um, Joe Marder and George Cruz on the blind side and um, the box had Lucanio Am who moved the ball on from Patrick Clark I'd say Lucanio Am was, was in many ways the man of the match for me in the, he made this such a telling contribution at that try because he obviously called for the ball uh, Malcolm Marks, marvellous quick hands, brilliant, brilliant, probably the, the impact hooker tournament for sure, moves the ball on to Mpimpi and he trips ahead. And Am, the way Am gathers that chip and just transfers the ball back right across his body, right to left, without even looking mm. and running on straight towards the end goal area was for me the moment of the final. I just thought it was glorious. And Mpimpi scores a try. And then Cheslin Kobe does what Cheslin Kobe does after... Marks again emptied uh, we slayed, I think it was in the tackle and Am pops the ball up to uh, Peter Steph to try and moves it out to Cheson Colby when Colby got the ball there was a forest about five, five white jerseys around him he used step past Cheson Colby and just stepped off his right foot and left own fire for dead and he has this uncanny way of sidestepping and accelerating in almost the same movement like no other rugby player on the planet and it was great that they they varnished that win with those two tries. I think it's a very valid question in a purely rugby term, leaving us all the undoubted suspicions that remain over them, uh, that Gavin has outlined, and I share them entirely. But I think just from a purely, the question was from a purely rugby perspective, I think the way they varnished that final win with those two tries by those two wingers, with the Kanyo Am playing such a huge role in both tries, particularly the first one, I think that was very important. Had on three finals with only three pointers Japers wept it wouldn't have been a great template for the game moving forward so I think it's a valid question Gentlemen you will be now released into the wild and uh, your podcast duties are done at least for another fortnight until we start doing Heineken Cup wins again um, so uh, thank you very much for your forbearance and tolerance and expertise all the way through the tournament Penalty shootouts are a fantastic thing Pat Penalty shootouts are absolutely brilliant. They are fantastic. Uh, of course, the uh, best penalty shootout over the weekend uh, took place in the Ulster Club Championship, but we're not <laughs> going to talk about that. No. <laughs> well, you weren't glued to Trillick against Derry Gonley, no? I wasn't, no. That one passed me by. <laughs> yeah. But no, of course. Well, there were two big penalty shootouts in Dublin, uh, the FAI Cup final uh, and the hockey. The hockey. Which happily... Gives us the excuse, chance, opportunity <laughs> to have Mary Hannigan in the podcast. How are you, sir? Happy Monday. I am very well. How are you? I'm absolutely laughing today. I, I would am. think so. These are good times. Good yeah. times. Yeah. I knew it was kind of going to be a crazy night when I arrived in Donnybrook uh, yesterday evening and there was a fella kind of lurking just outside the stadium, a ticket out for <laughs> a hockey match. He was actually... That must be a first. And I tell you, because for a long, long time, it was me, a man and two dogs, maybe. And that was kind of it. So I, I, I've seen it all now, a ticket wow. out at a hockey match. Now, that's, so, yeah. Yeah. that's a feature. He wasn't yeah. buying, he was only selling. Yeah, anybody yeah. anybody selling the tickets. I know. That's hilarious. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was brilliant. It was quite a moment, yeah. Um, you're, 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 you're a hockey person, it's fair to say. 
this is this is this is a sport you've been around. Okay. Th- th- these are this is this is great. These this are is, unprecedented. This is this is the good old days. Yeah, I can. Um, this is a raw back in my day kind of stuff. But yeah, I've been at many an Olympic qualifier over the years. Maybe the one that stands out most was Milton Keynes. I get all the hotspots. Yeah. Um, that would have been before the Sydney Olympics, I think. Oh wow. And um, Ireland were kind of their hopes ended pretty early in that tournament. So then, you know, when that happens, you get to play playoff crossover matches at nine o'clock in the morning and there's mm. certainly no ticket outs outside. <laughs> and the only memorable thing, I think, from that tournament was Katrina Carey, DJ's sister, soloing up the wing <laughs> and the umpires having no idea what to do because there isn't a rule in hockey that says you so can't bring Tomoki in hockey. So that was kind of the only, me- that was kind of the only memorable thing from that. So yeah, a lot of bleak days for for these players. And I think the captain, Katie Mullen, said that last mm. night, you know, this is for all the players who went through tough times mm. and never made it like so. A thrill for them. They're just a great bunch. Really, really happy for them. Yeah. I must say, on Saturday night, watching them, and actually, Darren Maloney said it on commentary, uh, like, Ireland's call is a desperately unloved thing <laughs> in the Irish consciousness. Uh, but I genuinely, and, and Darren Maloney said it, I've never seen a bunch of players I know. be so happy I know. to be roaring <laughs> every word exactly, of it beforehand exactly. in the lashings of rain <laughs> on Saturday night. And they were, and every time it got to the to the, the shoulder to shoulder bit, they all rustled each other's shoulders in like whatever they are, however, you know, limited they are on the world scale and, yeah. and, and what, whatever, you know, people who know hockey will know an awful lot of that better than me. But you, you only need to know a teensy bit about sport to see that's a team. Yeah, that yeah, is a it. collective. That's it. And it was funny. I was kind of thinking on Friday, are they even going to sleep tonight? You know, mm. this must be gut wrenching, like the nerves. Then I saw them arrive, like in the coach and uh, Saturday before the game, and they just genuinely just looked so relaxed. I saw Katie Mullen in the corridor outside the dressing room with her headphones, having a little personal disco. Not a bother on her, mm. you know, just so relaxed and. They just have a real belief about mm. themselves now, you know. But the Irons call thing, somebody said to me last night, the, I think it was on Saturday's game, someone brought like their young kid. They were singing along to Ireland's call, but they their line was the four proud Protestants of Ireland. <laughs> so, which caused great mirth around the place. So, yeah. There so, are more than four. Four. There maybe, are, there are but maybe the rest are, I don't know, or the rest is shame. <laughs> there are only four maybe proud they're, ones. They're, maybe yeah. they're just bashful. <laughs> so, I, I will forever sing that line now, yeah. It is true, though, about how calm they look, because, like, the penalty shootout was clearly nerve-wracking stuff. Yeah. And you're used to often seeing World Cups and people walking up to a penalty spot and being drawn with terror. Yeah. I was nervous watching it, but everybody who went up to take a penalty looked incredibly calm. Do you reckon it's like they've been involved in so many shootouts Mm. over the last, say, 12 months, I suppose. Do you reckon that was a huge help to them? I think they probably just know now they can do it. But a a big, big factor is their faith in Aisha McFerrin. You know, they just kind of know she's going to do it. And I mean, I... I'm pretty certain she was just praying that we go to a shootout. Mm. You know, she didn't want any of this nonsense of winning in normal time. It's like I always remember the line. I remember um, when it was uh, Munster won a game 
again in the Heineken Cup that had like 40 phases and ended with an O'Gara drop goal. And somebody asked O'Connell about him afterwards and said, Paul O'Connell said, what about O'Gara? You know, he's so cool in those circumstances. And he said like exactly dead faced. He says, he just wishes every game came down to that. Sure. That that, yeah. that would be his yeah. his choice for how every game ended. Yeah. That the game would be on the line and he had to kick a drop yeah. goal. And that same with Aisha McFerrin. And, mm. and it was, it, like, it should be noted. They came from 3-1 down in the shootout. And not even a good 3-1. Not even 3-1 mm. with a goal mm. left. Mm. Like... They look gone. The only way out of that shootout was exactly what happened. Aisha had to save two. Ireland had to score there to mm. go to sudden death. Aisha had to save another one, and and so like that was a, an almost impossible escape from a penalty That's shootout it, yeah. in any sport, yeah. and yet. When you have a goalkeeper like that, you go, well, this is possible. Because mm. I was I was watching with my my mum and uh, my wife and they were going, oh, sure, it's over now. And mm. now I'm no hockey expert, but I know enough to know, well, the keeper the keeper is still a factor here. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, like her story alone, I mean, there's there's a movie in it, I think. You know, she's a phenomenal Well, tell character. people a little about her, yeah. She's as, like, you know, there's a bit of an ocean, I think, with hockey that, you know, they're all trainee solicitors from South Dublin, yes. you know, and <laughs> there would be a few trainee solicitors from South Dublin. But, um, but you know, that that's not the, the whole that's story. Not. And she's an extraordinary girl. Like, she kind of played every sport growing up, was a brilliant Irish dancer. Her mother, because she was said herself she was crazy as a kid. So the mother kept trying to find things, you know, to wear her out. Mm. So big time, great Irish dancer, you know, trophies galore, mm. like traveling around Ireland. And she credits a lot of her kind of, you know, the footwork. She kind of to talks the, about the Irish dancing, quite a the twinkle toes thing. But um, but yeah, I mean, she, like her mom died when she was 15 and um, herself and two of her siblings went into care and she was eventually um, foster family. She kind of lived with for a few years and they were great with her but she talked about the rage she felt you know when she lost her mom and that sport kind of became a release for her mm. because she was just so kind of angry about what life had thrown at her so sport has just been such a big big thing for her to the point now where like she's playing professionally in Holland mm. she signed a professional contract after finishing college in America, she got a hockey scholarship to America. So it, it's just been so part of her story. Mm. So kind of watching her joy last night, you knew it wasn't just about hockey. Mm. There's a whole backstory oh, to you that. Could see, like, you could see her when she was interviewed afterwards. Like, the emotion like, of like, her, as like, you say, like the interviews, there was a wee bit of trainee solicitor in some uh, yeah, of the interviews. But like, like you see just pure northern defiance. That's it. Out that's out it. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. We were doing this. We were there. <laughs> You're going, all right, the game's over, settle <laughs> <laughs> I loved, she said, when she went back to Lauren after the World Cup, mm. um, she was talking about how crazy life had become. But uh, her, the craziest moment was passing the local bakery and seeing cookies with her face on them. <laughs> <laughs> she said that, that's how mad it all became. But yeah, I mean, and there are a lot of them like that. You know, mm. the Bar Twins, mm -hmm. they're from Lurgan. You know, they've And they've whole, just come in since the World Cup. Yeah, although, I mean, like they're, they're still so young, but they, you know they've got like twenty caps or so. Like it'll tell you how many they games. They do put these, these hockey people, people through the ring. Oh, like when I saw when I saw um, 
Shirley, Shirley McKay. McKay. Yeah, with 300 mm-hmm. calves. There are so 301 calves. Yeah. And I was going, how do you do that? And then I see that they make them play games <laughs> one day after Not each so. other. Exactly. That's, That's heavy going. But like, she's like a lot of them too. I was thinking that they've come from other sports. I mean, Shirley's first love mm-hmm. was football. Um, there are three players in the squad who played Gaelic football for Dublin, either at underage mm-hmm. or senior level. Um, you have like Nikki Daly, who would be a niece of Derek Daly, the Formula One driver. Mm-hmm. Her first love was motorsport. Um, Katie Mullen, the captain, Camogie, mm-hmm. she played in Crow Park with her, her club. So a lot of them came from other sports, but kind of focused on hockey because of the Olympic possibility. And, you know, for so many years, it just was kind of denied them, you know, they missed out. So, um, and Lena Tice played cricket for Ireland, you know, debut at 13, nuts. I mean, she's only 21 and she's got about 95,000 caps between hockey and cricket. It's extraordinary. But yeah, a lot of them kind of left their first sporting loves to just for the chance of playing in the Olympics. And here they are now. So, Mm. yeah. It's kind of apt too that we got a little bit of revenge on the Canadians yeah. after what happened to the men because yeah. the men, if I remember, it was a contentious decision that even left it go to a penalty shootout and then the men in the exact role reversal of the women three had one a 3-1 one. lead right. in the shootout and lost yeah. it. it. It's a shame that we don't have the two teams going as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what happened then was just extraordinary. I mean, I'm not even sure that's over yet, to be honest. I mean, we'll have an appeal. A bit of chat going on, you know, whether it ends up in Cass or something. I don't know if they'll go that far. But um, but yeah, I mean, that that was just really, really badly handled, the whole thing by the the governing body on that occasion. That whole, you can see that that whole referral system is. It's kind of new and, and mm. it's finding its feet. Like even even during the shootout last night, yeah. you know, um, I I was wondering the one where where the Canadians referred it uh, with time pressure, That's right. and the ref had to kind of go, okay, well the video doesn't have a clock on I it. Know. Yeah. That seemed a little like. If that was the other way around, uh, I know, you'd yeah. be, <laughs> we'd be on our way to cast. Exactly. <laughs> like if it, we'd be talking about two weeks in a row where we got got it's done no over doubt. a little bit. Now Artie yeah. said that they had timed it and it was seven, seven seconds. seconds. It was inside. Yeah. It. But like it, the it, it's not exactly bomb proof just yet. Sure, it's not. And I mean that that's the problem, you know, for World Cups or the Olympics or whatever. It will, it should be bomb proof. Mm. But there's so many of these tournaments going on all over the world that like. Yeah, they're they're not kind of watertight on how the clear, How clear was it all within inside the ground? Uh, the, what was going on, the referrals? Uh, like, how how much do you know? Yeah, I mean, they, they would show the replays on the screen, mm. all right. And I mean, you watch the players watching the replays and that kind of added to the tension. Um, so reasonably clear. And can you hear the conversation between the ref and the... It, well, you, you, yeah, and yeah. then of course the big announcement yeah. like last night that the, the, the it could stand, but um, but yeah, I I think that is the issue that a lot of these tournaments are held in small grounds Absolutely, that don't yeah. have the facilities, don't have the right number of cameras. I think there are meant to be six cameras. I think there are only five at the men's in in Vancouver. So um, yeah, they have a bit of a way to go. I I think before they that they make that work smoothly. So. 
But the Canadians, I mean, I, I know it's kind of hard to feel sorry for, you know, whoever you beat in the penalty shootout. But I mean, they're an amazing bunch. No funding, all mm. their funding cut by their governing body. Their whole Olympic kind of campaign was self-funded. They all moved to Belgium to kind of play for clubs there, better quality of hockey, um, their store. And rather than their rankings sinking, despite all of this, they rose and rose and rose in the rankings. So that was brutal for them Mm. last night. I mean, you know, that's the way it goes, I know. But but their story was a pretty amazing one too. And it's not often we come up against teams that we're in a way better position in Mm. terms of funding or whatever. But in this case, yeah, we we certainly were. That they've had a tough time of it. I saw, uh, I heard on Morning Ireland this morning, um, Park Lodge managed, uh, grabbed. Well, I was going to say managed to grab Leo Varadkar at it. I'd, I'd say it was the other way around, actually. But um, and uh, was you know say uh, Leo was very 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 high up on the bandwagon, uh, and. Uh, Fair play to Park Lodge, he said. And, you know, they're going to need uh, more funding now for going to the Olympics. And Leo straight away said, oh, they'll get it. They'll get it. <laughs> Did his best Michael Ring impression straight away. Where was Shane Ross last night? I know. Mm. It was kind of like a Fine Gael or a Dash there. Like, I think most of the stand was... Well, knowing his sense know. of timing, he'd probably turn up to Donnybrook today. He probably <laughs> Or he was in Vancouver. There was, it what. was interesting. There was the one thing I didn't... Well, not I knew there was many things I didn't know obviously but uh, one thing I didn't know and they were saying it on the coverage um, the squad will be cut for the Olympics like there was an 18 person squad last night you can only bring 15 to the Olympics that's a that's a that's a tight 8 months ahead it really is I, I have to confess I didn't know that I yeah. thought it was 18 as well no, 15 they said last night that they, they cut it to 15 yeah. wow and it's tough. I mean, the, like one of the players who was kind of one of the stars in London, the World Cup, Ali Meek, missed, the, missed out on this squad. Mm. She was there in the stand last night looking on. I mean, it's brutal, you know, when you're kind of gave so much for years mm. and years to kind of miss out then. But again, that's the nature mm. of it, I know. But um, but yeah, there are a lot of gifted young players will be bursting to get into that squad. Mm. So, um, and Sean Dancer, actually, I mean, that that's a whole part of the story too, that they lost their coach. Mm. And um, explain the ins and outs of that. So, so Graham Shaw was was post essentially, pretty much. Yeah. Um, New Zealand, their coach took over the British women's team, and so they had the vacancy. And and I don't think anyone begrudged him mm. because it was a big opportunity for him. You know, family moving to New Zealand and presumably considerably better salary there. But at the same time, much as the players said all of that, we don't begrudge him. It must have kind of hurt in a way that maybe he just felt, well, I have a better opportunity maybe of getting to the as Olympics. Far. I, it's, not, it's not going to get better than a World Cup final. That's it. You know? it but there was probably that feeling and um, inevitably they'll be drawn against New Zealand now in the mm. World Cup or in the, the same pool. But like Sean Dancer has come in very quiet, you know, understated. I thought he was kind of funny in his interviews yesterday, him being an Australian. It was kind of like, what's the big deal about qualifying for an Olympics? Know. You know, he yeah, was, yeah. He was like, why are you all so excited? I know. <laughs> Welcome to our world. But he was, yeah, pretty calm about the whole thing. Probably wondering, why is everyone losing their head in this place? But um, but he seems, well, he's, clearly it's, it's working well. 
but a uh, very quiet, understated kind of fella. And um, so, so yeah, but they've bounced back really well from that too, because obviously Graham Shaw was a mm. huge part of their, their story. But um, yeah, that thrill for them, you know, they're a great bunch. And um, I think, you know, they've, they all have great stories mm. and, you, you know, mixed sporting backgrounds and everything. And, um, and I think they've, really kind of just promoted themselves so well since well, the World the Cup. Other, and, the yeah. other side of the story. Like, to have 6,000 people there two nights in Amazing. a row in that weather. I know. Like, Saturday yeah. night, I can't get... <laughs> like, I, there, I don't really know how many other sporting yeah. events... Ireland would have got would have packed out the place and in that monsoon did you see that the Dublin Fire Brigade were to water the pitch on Saturday because <laughs> the pitch has to be watered before a hockey thing so they were on standby <laughs> and weren't needed because of the deluge but they were there Take last the night, night. <laughs> I arrived and there were these about eight firemen out on the pitch with over the speakers it was uh, playing It's Raining Men sure. I was thinking are they about to rip off all their clothes <laughs> and that's what it looked like but yeah Look, whatever watering. gets the people into well, the stadium area that would have been amazing pre-match entertainment it should be said though like, that, like it is like that is a function of the 2020 campaign, yeah. the, a level of promotion. Somebody had the bright idea of, look, we lay a pitch in Donnybrook, yeah. build it and they will come. Yeah. And it's like, it, re- it, it, show, it, amazing, it, it yeah. really does show what can be done yeah. with a bit of energy, a bit of imagination, obviously money, obviously mm. financial backing. Mm. and But at the heart of it, you have to have the team. That's, you have to it. have That's something... It. And that kind of personalities in. that, you know, just yeah. promote this, their sports like so brilliantly. And, um, and but yeah, I think imagination is key in all of that, too, um, yeah. because I mean, who would ever have thought of a pop up pitch? I mean, when I heard it first, I yeah. thought that's nuts. Well, but it worked. Well, you weren't thinking it in Milton Keynes in 1999, <laughs> put it that <laughs> way. Katrina soloing up the wing. Yeah. Yeah. That was a long, long way. Well, look, uh, week by week and month by month. We're compiling the list of stories that we're going to be stuck to in early mornings in Japan next summer. Like It's a really interesting Irish team that is coming together, all from so many different backgrounds, such incredible stories. And it's going to make it a, a, for a great Olympics. And and we have a team there now. Yeah. That, that will be the, the centrepiece of it. Mary, thank you so much. Not a bother. Thank you for that. Uh, thanks to uh, Jerry and Gav, who we had on earlier doing the rugby thanks to you Pat thanks Paul thanks to Declan behind the desk and we will talk to everybody next week take it easy Added Time is supported by Fitbit with Amazon Alexa built in your personalised sleep score and a 5 plus day battery life Fitbit Versa 2 takes smartwatches to the next level